Attack of the Final Girls is a podcast about the horror genre, so listener discretion is advised. Please check the show notes for specific content warnings for this episode. And of course, beware of spoilers. Welcome to Attack of the Final Girls. I'm Juliet. And I'm Teresa. And we are here with episode 30, the big three zero. And uh, we are also here at the end of a year, the beginning of the year. We're recording this at the end of the year. You're hearing it at the beginning of a year. And we're uh, here to tell you about our uh, 10 best horror films and then some of 2022. Yeah. Juliet and I don't rank. We can't rank. We're no. bad at ranking. I have to do it for records, and it hurts me, like, <laughs> physically. So we're not going to do it with movies. Yeah. I actually did this, like, a week ago, and then immediately the day after, I already had to make a change. So if that goes to show you, like, I had a really hard time even narrowing it down to just, like, 10 in no order. Yeah. So <laughs> I can't do the ranking thing. So our task was, out of all of the movies that we saw this year, all of the new horror movies, which we saw, like between 30 and 40 between the two of us. Yeah. Because Juliet saw some that I didn't see. I saw some that she didn't see. So between 30 and 40 new horror movies this year, we somehow whittled it down to our favorite 10 and a couple of honorable mentions. Yep. Our lists are almost exactly the same. Yeah, with few exception. Like, we have nearly exactly the same movies on our list. I think there's only two that that are different. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think that's right. And we had a couple flipped in the honorable mentions and stuff. So yeah, it's been an incredible year. 2022 has been an incredible year. It really has. I was looking at a list of sort of comparing numbers, like how many we saw last year versus how many this year. And we saw a lot last year. We were really like coming back to the cinema in a big way. But this year, we got to see a lot of movies that we knew about even going back to 2020, but got delayed. So there was a lot of kind of delayed gratification happening this year in terms of like bigger franchises, mm-hmm. highly anticipated work from different directors, etc. So it was really, really exciting to see a lot of this stuff pan out, like a lot of stuff we knew, like, oh, Jordan Peele's working on a new one. Oh, there's going to be this Ethan Hawke horror film. Like we were hearing about the Black Phone for Oh my quite gosh. a while like yeah. during the pandemic you know ty west is working on something new etc cetera, etc cetera. so it was really really exciting to get to experience a lot of these things that we had been waiting for for an awfully long time in the cinema and on streaming too you you had more streaming picks than i did which is par for the course I know. <laughs> yeah unless we watch it together yeah you're probably not gonna watch it <laughs> yeah yeah almost 40 new movies this year and that's in the cinema, on streaming, um, stuff that got released that, you know, (laughs) had been filmed Mm pre-pandemic and maybe just weren't finished or weren't polished or big returns to franchises that they didn't want to kind of like peter out in the theater. So they waited until this year. Honestly, I'm like pretty blown away that it's already the end of 2022. Yeah, it felt like time slowed down there for a while. And now it feels like it's speeding way back up. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty crazy. But we saw a lot of indie horror this year, too. Yeah. Um, Stuff that maybe flew under the radar or from directors either very new to horror as a genre, or directors that have worked in horror in the past and just like came back with a huge bang. Yeah. It was extremely exciting. There were tons of movies that I was really, really, really stoked to see. And almost none of them disappointed me. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. There were only like, honestly, like three that I can say, well, maybe, maybe it's only two that I like actively did not like. Yeah. Three. Three. Because we covered one of them that I always forget came out this year. Cursed. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 But, you know, there were only a couple that I, like, actively disliked. And even, like, one of those, I can find a few good things about it. And it's one that got a lot of hype. And it just just didn't do it for me. Yeah. So, best of 2022. I'm going to start it out. And let's talk about Barbarian. Okay. Yeah. So, Barbarian is the first horror movie by Zach Krager. And if you ever watch The Whitest Kids You Know, which I know is going to be such a weird throwback. But <laughs> that Zach, is a throwback. <laughs> Zach Krager was one of the dudes from The Whitest Kids You Know. And 
by the end of this movie, when I looked it up, because I was like, I've never heard of this director before. I have no idea who it is. And I see his face. I'm like, oh, my God, that dude is the guy who always played a woman in The West Kids You Know. <laughs> and it just blew me away. This is his first feature film, first foray into horror. And like so many times before, a comedian has like absolutely, you know, blown me away. Yeah. In horror. Yeah. And I just think that it's such an interesting segue from doing something that is so unlike horror the ways because you know one of the dumbest shows yeah that has yeah. ever aired don't get me wrong i've seen every episode <laughs> i understand i know that it's very stupid like in a way that's meant to, like it's on purpose stupid yeah. it's like mad tv like you can't say mad tv is like top of the line high writing <laughs> yeah it's it's not high art but barbarian gets there and yeah. I was truly surprised afterwards when I found out that Zach Krager wrote and directed it. I was like, holy crap, like this dude gets it. I can't wait to see what else he does. Yeah, yeah. The buildup for this one, a lot of the critics that got to pre-screen it were saying, if you liked Malignant, which I think we both did last year, you will really love Barbarian. And I was going in with that mindset of like, okay, we're going to see something that is kind of the... In certain regards, the antithesis of A24 and not in a high art, low art kind of way, but in a rather than being very, very thinky. And I've got some we've got some A24 films on here. Mm -hmm. This is just going to be like equally bizarre, but way more in your face. Mm -hmm. And this totally delivered on that promise for sure. Yeah, I'm really glad that this one, the trailer, was very misleading. Yeah. Because I really thought I had a grasp of what it was going to be prior to watching the movie and then being completely flabbergasted. We definitely saw the return of Justin Long this year. Yep. Um, the man you love to hate. <laughs> right. Uh, and I know everybody hated Tusk. I honestly kind of want to go back and watch Tusk again because I know, I know, I know. I, I get mean, it. We should. We should because I just had to like sigh heavily and could not help myself. We should go back and watch Dusk at some point. I love Justin Long in that movie. Yeah. I have really enjoyed other things he's done. I regularly go back and watch Dodgeball because it's so stupid and I love it, <laughs> even though it's problematic by 2022 standards yeah. for sure. I thought it was going to be very predictable and I thought that Justin Long had a surprising character arc. I was really appreciative of that. Bell Skarsgård, of course, love him. Oh, yeah. I watch him in literally anything. Truly. I really am glad that in this particular case, it didn't show too much in the trailer. Oh, yeah. I think that that could have, like, totally blown its cover. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And even as the movie progresses, I love that it was a movie that every time you thought you had it figured out, you were like, oh, no. Like, you know, in terms of progression, there were, like, four different monsters in that movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Which is great. It's like the whole title of the movie is Barbarian, and you're like, wait, which is the Barbarian? Yeah, yeah. It's almost like the the whole, like, you know, the thing that's become, like, a hackneyed meme at this point. But, like, you know, Frankenstein is the monster. Frankenstein is the villain. Yes, Frankenstein, you know. Yeah, like, exactly. That whole thing. And there are lots of people that didn't like this movie. Yeah. Like, there yeah, were a truly. lot of people that, like, really thought it missed the mark. And I just thought, like... No, I thought it was smart. I thought it was funny in parts. I thought it was realistic, you yeah. know. Well, some parts of it were realistic, but <laughs> uh, like realistic in that sometimes you will wander into danger more easily than even you would expect. Right. I appreciated that. Wander into danger literally, figuratively, metaphorically, in a monster sense, uh, <laughs> with the best intentions, you know. Yeah. It's also great to have like, in terms of the titular monster, mm -hmm. rather than who I believe is the true monster of the film, a monster that is monstrous mm -hmm. and is scary and is a threat, but is also sympathetic. Yeah. Like, that's, I, I love that. And I think perhaps that's why some people had a hard time with this one, is that it can be really hard to kind of square the fact that you are simultaneously sympathetic to the air quotes monster but they're also like trying to kill somebody yeah you know yeah yeah that one it was tough it was a lot to chew on but it was i thought it was really good yeah i would definitely recommend that one yeah absolutely let's talk about watcher okay yeah which actually that is the only movie that you had on your list that i did not have on my list but that's because 
I didn't have room for it. That's okay. <laughs> I you, still loved it. You had a couple things on your list that I just haven't seen. Yeah. So not to be confused with the Netflix miniseries The Watcher, yeah. which came out in October and has been met with really mixed, complicated reviews. I haven't seen it. I don't know if I ever will. <laughs> um, Watcher came out back in June and it had a pretty limited theatrical run. I absolutely loved it. It was the directorial debut, uh, feature directorial debut of Chloe Okono and stars Micah Monroe, mm-hmm. who we know from It Follows. Yep. And it is the story of an actress and her partner who move not just to a new city, but to a new country. They move to Bucharest and he is moving there for a job and kind of has a future set up. She's there with him and is kind of trying to figure out what's next. And there is a serial killer on the loose in the city. And she starts to feel as if she is being watched, but she is also watching. Mm -hmm. And it is just a very interesting push and pull it was one of those movies that i was just in it the whole time we were watching it and i thought it was very fear of it was very real in that the whole movie it's is she being believed Mm -hmm. you know is she the hysterical woman who is granted being as cautious as femme presenting people have to be in this world but is also being kind of questioned about whether what she is perceiving is actually happening. Is she right? Is she wrong? Mm -hmm. I really, really liked it because the horror of it, while heightened, felt very real. So much about what made that movie scary is that it's steeped in the experiences of femme-presenting people just moving about the world. Yeah. And the isolation of experiencing a culture that doesn't speak your language. Yeah. So it's in Bucharest, so... I'm assuming that they would speak, and this is my assumption, Romanian would be the number one language. So as an English-speaking person, there are people that she can interact with, but there are many people that she can't. Yeah. Like, she has a neighbor who speaks English, and she kind of gets close to that neighbor because they're English-speaking. But she also has neighbors that don't speak any English and don't understand her. She has trouble interacting with police officers sometimes. And there are times, too, when the script gets flipped and it's kind of like, are you being, are yeah. you the aggressor? Are you misunderstanding the situation? Is this guy actually doing anything to harm you? That's a lot of the, like, you know, yeah. question that's happening. And she tries to explain, like, yes, this is harmful to me. And people just aren't taking her seriously. It's very scary. Yeah. Very surprising ending. Yep. This was also an IFC release, mm-hmm. which whenever it comes to IFC, like, I'll watch whatever they have to show because I used to watch the IFC channel like oh, yeah. all the time when yeah. I had cable. So yeah, anytime that they have something to release, I'm like, yes, I will watch it. To your point about the language, I love that throughout the film, we don't get subtitles mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. because as a viewer, you're you're feeling isolated just like the character. And it's not important that we understand what the people not speaking English are saying. It's more important is how that makes us feel. Right. And I compared it to, after we saw it, it's like, if Lost in Translation, the vibe of Lost in Translation was translated into a horror film. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there are times when we're sitting at the dinner table with our main character, and they're speaking in Romanian. Her husband speaks fluent Romanian. And they're all speaking, and she doesn't know what's happening, and she's just kind of, like, looking between them, like, uh, okay, like, can you loop me in? Yeah. And there are other times when her husband purposefully does that so that she's not clued in on what's happening. Yeah. I think that the only time when we figure that out is, like, there's something going on that her husband doesn't want her to know, and but the other coworkers are in on it, and then we find about, out about it later. And I was like, that's so, I don't even know what, to, what word to assign to it, but it's so just generally relatable, I think. Yeah to people, even if you don't know anybody who speaks another language. But it's like, it's almost like what your parents used to do to you when they would go out of the room and talk about important stuff. Right. And like, oh, you know, you don't understand, you wouldn't understand. And it's like, yeah, but that's not fair. Like, let me try. Yeah. You know? And you obviously know that they're talking about something important, but you're being intentionally left out. You're yeah. very aware of that. It's very isolating. Yeah. And upsetting. So that 
and then the push into more isolation, more the fact that she's taking medication, Yep, which that is called into question multiple times over the course of the movie, which is very commonplace for people to take antidepressants. Yeah. So, like, for people to call that into question and, like, are you sure that's what uh-huh. you saw? That kind of thing. Those That type of prodding, especially by like men or masculine yeah. presenting people to be the ones to ask those questions and not believe you. It was rough. It was scary in multiple levels. Oh, yeah. I really enjoyed that one, too. Let's talk about Smile. So we saw a bunch of trailers for this one, and I was worried that this falls into a situation where the trailer shows the scariest parts of the movie yeah, and same. it kind of blows the scare for you. Yeah. And I will say that there is a very, like, big scare in the movie that does get blown in the trailer. And that was a little bit of a bummer. Yeah. But I will also say that it doesn't ruin all of the scares. Yeah, I agree. And I think, is this the first time I've ever seen Sozie Bacon in anything? No, she was in 13 Reasons Why, which I didn't finish because once I figured out what it was about, I was like, oh, no, 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 no. We're not watching that. So Sozie Bacon is the main character. Kyle Gallner, which I think I've seen him in a bunch of stuff too. He was in Scream. Oh. Which, pause. (laughs) So it's a movie about a psychiatrist who had a traumatic experience with one of her patients and then kind of like gets this, uh, I don't really want to call it a viral thing, but like a a thing that gets transmitted. Yeah. And then some stuff happens. Yeah. Some stuff goes down. Yeah. Almost It Follows vibes. Yeah. Almost. Not exactly in the same way, which I think was good, Mm -hmm. um, that they didn't try to emulate that, but just enough that I appreciated it. I think that the style is kind of a a well-used trope. Yeah. But it's like a modern update. The monster was terrifying in it. It made me feel like the way that The Ring and The Grudge did in the early aughts when I first watched those. That's what it made me feel like. Yeah. In a good way. Yeah. In a satisfying way. I really like that it was more of a jump scare driven movie. But once again, it's an unreliable narrator situation, which I also appreciate thinking, can I believe what's happening? Is this a product of trauma? Is this a product of maybe some medication interactions that are happening? Yeah. Is this just the character being scared? Or is this really happening? I really like that part of it. And like I said, I think that the monster in it was was insane yeah and this one i'm really excited about because it feels like it could become a franchise Mm -hmm. and it i think would be a welcome new horror franchise because although it uses familiar tropes it's fresh enough that it would feel like a good new original franchise kind of like the way like insidious felt when those movies were starting out oh totally yeah i absolutely agree i love a franchise yeah i mean honestly like and we'll get to franchises later on but i do think that this one is ripe for that because this is like a little bit the whole like smile thing is transmitted in a way that is even easier than like the ring where it's like you gotta watch a tape and obviously the ring franchise has kind of like petered off now yeah and now we have paranormal activity Uh and that kind of thing but this is much more spreadable it's, yeah. it's something that could go viral much more quickly. So I think that uh, I would really like to see more of this uh, director. And it was directed by Parker Finn. It's not his first movie that he's directed, but the other ones have been shorts. So And, you know, a lot of horror directors get their start in shorts. And I think that that movie made back so much money that it's going to be impossible not to, oh, yeah. to have more interest in that going yeah. forward. One of the reviews I was reading on this one earlier, they said, worst therapist ever. <laughs> um, I mean, they're not wrong. Just as a quick note, this also had some really incredible marketing that yeah. happened with it. I remember seeing it on TV because we had already planned to see this movie like yeah. way ahead in advance. We typically see it the Thursday before the Friday it comes out. And we did with this one. We were very excited But that week, they had actors go to baseball games and then stare into the cameras, into select cameras, and just smile the whole time. Freak everybody out. Yep. I thought it was a great marketing tactic. Yeah. Yeah. I love a good marketing tactic for a horror film. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about men. Okay. Yeah. This is a movie that you had on your top 10. I had in my honorable mentions. Yeah. So I want to hear what you had to say about it. 
Alex Garland delivering for A24, um, second film for A24. And this is one of those movies that based on the trailer, I was like, okay, I'm intrigued. Mm -hmm. And the movie is certainly intriguing. It's one that I want to watch again and again, especially like knowing the whole story. I need to go back and watch it. I haven't done it yet because I thought maybe I would wait until we covered it to do that second watch through. But it was one that having watched it all the way through, I was immediately like, oh man, I want to go back and like trace the symbolism and all of that because Mm -hmm. there's a lot to delve into. Mm -hmm. At its core, it is a movie about a woman who has recently become a widow her spouse died by suicide and even his death is like fairly nebulous because we're talking about recollections and a little bit of unreliable narrator and things like that she goes off to the countryside to sort of heal and and be in reflection and starts encountering men who are kind of these really interesting like archetypal characters who are all kind of very menacing examples of toxic masculinity. It culminates in a really visceral sort of experience that she has that then ties in with her spouse's death. And I just, I love it. It kind of like The Watcher, it was a combination of the sort of real life horrors and scary things that femme presenting people encounter and deal with on the regular, you know, very, very relatable. This one punctuated with a lot more visceral horror and straight up scary stuff. I mean, (laughs) one of the scariest scenes to me was not the end visceral scene, which I know was like horrifying to some people in the audience. Oh my God, yeah. (laughs) For reasons. Um, But the scariest scene to me was actually a scene where she's in the house and there is a man banging on the door. Yeah. You know, just demanding to be let in and like trying to look through the mail slot and things like that. Like that was so terrifying because like so many of us have experienced things like that. Mm -hmm. And it just, it tapped into a real fear that we all have ingrained in us. Yeah. Coupled with a lot of like really interesting symbolism that I'm really excited to go back to and some beautiful scenery too. Yeah. It just goes to show like the whole thing is like you can't even go to mourn in the middle of nowhere right. and be safe from men. Yeah. Jesse Buckley plays the main character and she's incredible. She was in a Netflix movie called I'm Thinking of Ending Things, which had her, Jesse Plemons, Tony Collette, and the guy who played Professor Lupin in the Harry Potter movies. Oh, okay. I, I don't remember what his last name is. His first name's David. Sorry, David, somebody. That movie was really, really good. I also love Rory Kinnear. Oh, yeah. I'll watch him in literally anything. I loved him in the James Bond movies. If you haven't watched Penny Dreadful, he plays an absolutely heartbreaking Frankenstein's monster. Yes. Oh, my gosh, yes. One of the best parts of the entire series. Yeah, I agree. I also love Eva Green in that series yes but but also like Rory Kinnear holy crap he could act the peel off an apple I swear the two of them together it's just they really create a very isolating and claustrophobic movie that has some intense symbolism that translates to the end and the reason why it didn't go on my top 10 and it went on my honorable mentions is the ending is still a big huh moment for me that's fair but I'm talking about it. I'm still thinking about it. And that makes it worth mentioning. So yeah, I absolutely think so. Yeah. Part of what I loved about this one, too, is um, people often forget that Alex Garland wrote the screenplay for 28 Days Later, Mm -hmm. which is like one of my favorite, favorite horror films for a lot of reasons. Like Danny Boyle's direction is great, but it's really the screenplay. And you can if you watch this movie, you will see a lot of the elements that made 28 Days Later a really special and different zombie film are being translated and transmuted to this story as well. Yeah, it's really interesting that Alex Garland almost always writes like a damsel in distress, you know, scenario at least baked into a part of the movie, yeah. if not the movie as a whole. Ex Machina is a good yep. a good example of that. Annihilation is a good example of that which both are Alex Garland movies. So interesting that he always bakes in like a damsel in distress situation. But this movie is basically the entirety of it is damsel in distress. And 
I will say this movie is not for everybody. Yeah, I agree. Lots of people we know did not like it at all. (laughs) Yeah. The other part that made me put this on the honorable mentions is I talked a lot about it with my partner on the drive home, which is a way that I process through a movie, especially if I'm like, I don't know how I feel about this. And I'll say like, you know, maybe make recommendations or say maybe if they did it this way. And when we talked about it on the way home, it was more of us piecing together what we had just seen Uh and remembering like, oh, well, there's this part or, oh, this thing happened or like things that we wouldn't have remembered otherwise. So I definitely think it's worth watching. It's challenging. It's certainly a challenging film. But yeah, definitely in the top this year. Yeah. So Violent Night. (laughs) And we already have discussed this. This is our segue into if you want to hear us talk more about this movie. Yes please follow us on Patreon and contribute to our continued success as a podcast. Yeah, patreon.com slash attack of the final girls. We do hot takes when we first see movies and we did one for Violent Night. So I'm not going to elaborate too much more on this. I had this in my top 10. I think it was on your honorable mention. Honorable mentions. I am just going to say this movie has like times 10 its budget. It has already made so much more money, but more drunk David Harbour Santa, please. Yeah. yeah. That's all I have to say about it. I want the things, all of the things that I said I would want in a sequel in the hot take. I want those, whoever's listening that can make that happen, please make that happen in the future. I will say too, like having gone through the holiday season, we saw it right when it came out, when it was still kind of, I don't think it was limited, but it felt pretty limited. Mm-hmm. It was not screening a whole lot. And I know it's come to streaming now. And I've seen so many people over the holidays watch this movie and thoroughly enjoy it and totally like clue in on that beautiful thing that it's like super violent, super funny, and also very sweet. Yeah. And I love that. Make it a franchise. (laughs) That's why I put it on my top 10 because I'm not the type of person that has to watch a Christmas movie every year or like the same Christmas movies every year. In fact, it feels pretty suffocating for me to do that. Yeah. But for a movie to be violent and have those horror elements, but also be able to tell like a sweet Christmas story, I thought was really special. Yeah. So that's I why agree. I put it on there. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't put holiday movies on my top 10. <laughs> Let's talk about the menu. Okay. Once again, this is our plug. <laughs> <laughs> this is the Patreon section of the of the thing. Although that one was available to everybody. Okay. That one was our first hot take, I think. Yeah. Yeah. If you want more stuff like that, become a patron. For sure. I just want to see Anya Taylor-Joy. And I have been saying her name wrong the entire time. I thought it was Anna Taylor-Joy. Oh, I make that mistake all the time, too. It's Anya Taylor-Joy. I want to see her in everything. Me, too. She was in Last Night in Soho. Yep. Which we saw. Um, I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. We watched it. It was a movie we watched. Yeah. I really like her, though. I like her a lot. I think she is going to do great things. Yeah. The Menu is one of those movies that I can absolutely see myself just, like, randomly putting on yes. again totally rewatchable yeah very rewatchable and not just to like look for the symbolism like totally rewatchable just to watch it yeah it's not one of those movies where like oh you already know all the things that are going to happen so it's not as interesting i think there's still value in rewatching it absolutely it's cool. and i need to see ralph fines chew the the scenery all the time oh yes 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 okay let's talk about nope all right Holy crap. Full disclosure, I had Nope in my honorable mentions initially. Uh-huh. And I had the menu in my top ten. Oh, okay. You so flipped them. I flipped those. Okay. Because it's been a while since I've seen Nope. And when I left the theater after watching Nope, I kind of had, like, mixed feelings. But I've read a lot of discourse about it since then. And it hasn't changed my mind necessarily, but it has clued me into some things that I took for granted that I, when I watched it the first time. So when I thought about it again and I thought about how amazing and beautiful it was when we saw yeah. it in the theater, the thing that I had completely forgotten, which was Stephen Yoon's character and his whole arc and yeah. the like, you know, family TV show monkey on the set thing. I had forgotten about that and I had taken that for granted. And when I thought about it, I was like, I have to put this back in my top 10. Yeah. I put it back there. I will literally watch anything Jordan Peele makes. I will watch commercials that he makes. Yep. 
I loved Get Out and Us so much that I was expecting something like that. And when we got more of a sci-fi horror movie, yeah, it threw me off a little bit because the movie is less about all of the symbolism and stuff that he's cramming into Us and Get Out in a good way. Yeah. And more about the emptiness and the vacuousness of viral culture and and how soulless it is and how vast and like just punishing it is and honestly this movie was insane in the theater it was just oh such an experience yeah i don't know if it's going to be the same when i watched it at home but i really appreciated that and just thinking about it in that way i was like there's no way i can't put this on my top 10 yeah I loved it. You know, it is hard. I know that there were some people that were disappointed because it wasn't, maybe it wasn't as overt Mm -hmm. in its symbolism as Get Out and Us. And I also think it's really dangerous with a director like Jordan Peele. Like, I feel like some people's criticism of Nope is exactly what he is trying to work against as a filmmaker which is you've got this amazing black filmmaker who has made films about race and identity and class and he should not be expected to do it every time yes he has other things to say and that's okay like that is okay by me and he can say them just as beautifully and skillfully as he did the other two movies you know Mm -hmm. that really made him famous out of the gate I love a good sci-fi movie. I love a good UFO movie that just like speaks to my heart. So I was really excited about this from the jump. And uh, I just loved how beautiful it was. What a contrast in sort of light and color and shadow it was from his prior two films. And even the thing about the, I'll call it an entity, the, the sort of big threatening thing that was revealed at the end I heard some people were disappointed about and I thought it was just like the most beautiful thing in terms of cinematography Mm -hmm. and artistry and all of that so I really liked it I liked it for its difference it did take me a minute to be Mm -hmm. like wow this was really different than Get Out and Us but I appreciate it all the more for that now yeah I also think that this is a lesson in movies that can still be effective that don't have a clear like, final way that the story moves, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah, like, totally. Like, a movie doesn't always have to have, like, these clear-cut markers, and, like, things don't always have to mean something. Right. I thought that that was a really important, like, message. And it's actually teased in there. Like, there are things that are pointless. Yeah. There are missions and tasks that you do in your life that are not going to mean anything. Yeah, exactly. And there will be people who die in those pursuits that also will not mean anything. Yep. And that's just how it goes. Yeah. So I really liked that. I liked that it's something that you have to reckon with. Yeah. I appreciated that about the movie. So this movie we actually saw like really early on in the year. I think it was the first horror film of the year. Okay. That I'm makes sense. Sure. I, it's number one on my list and I went kind of like in date order because I just went through back through the screenshots of all the movie tickets that we had. <laughs> and that was the first one that came up. But it is Scream 2022. And we did do a full episode on this one mm-hmm. all the way back. It was episode 12 all the way back in April. Oh, my gosh. We were wee babies. We little baby podcasters. <laughs> 2022, man. It'll age you. Yeah. <laughs> so... I don't know about you, but it's been a long time since we had a Scream movie. So when I went into this movie, I was like, I have high hopes, but I have low expectations. Yep, same. Because it is incredibly hard to take a beloved franchise. We no longer have Wes Craven. We don't have his tutelage, you know, since Scream 4. It's been a really long gap of time. We knew we were getting some of our beloved characters back, but we also knew that we were going to have, like, this fresh injection of new folks into this movie that maybe we haven't seen or haven't seen much of yet. After rebooting a franchise that's had such a large time gap and we don't have Wes Craven to kind of, like, give us guidance and and inject that, like, original levity and cleverness into it, I was like, this could be a hot mess. Yeah. This could be total garbage. Yeah. I freaking loved it. I did, too. I did, too. (laughs) One of the things that I really loved that so many franchises aren't doing these days is that it's a sequel. Mm -hmm. 
It is Scream 5. You know, it's called Scream. Yeah. But it's Scream 5. It's not, well, it's Scream, but it's like we take the first movie and a half and then cancel out the rest of the continuity. Yes, Halloween, I'm looking at you. (laughs) Um, And, you know, and take this, but don't take this. No, it's just a straight up sequel. Yep. And I kind of love that. I appreciate that so much more after some other movies that came out in 2022 yeah. that it didn't retcon anything. Nope. It appreciated and loved and absolutely absorbed everything that happened in the first four movies. And then we have this like lovely continuation. It feels like a scream movie. It sounded like a scream movie. It had that like new, fresh up to date sarcasm, Jenna Ortega, which this is probably one of the first things I ever saw her in. And 2022 was the year of Jenna Ortega totally. for real. <laughs> yeah, Jenna Ortega and Mia Goth yes, owned this year. For sure. And I fell in love with Jenna Ortega. I fell in love with Jasmine Savoy Brown. Yeah. They had a great script flip in this one. We have a new final girl. We have the kind of passing of the torch from yep. Nev Campbell and Courtney Cox. We have the passing of the torch from David Arquette. We have um, set up for Scream 6, which we know is coming out in early next year in March. We have a new setting. Yeah, I'm so um, excited about that. Me too. Like, I've always wanted to see a Scream movie in a big city. Yeah. Because so far it's been kind of like small town to small town, you know. Yeah. University, because there's there was that whole college thing. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Couldn't have a horror movie without it being set in a college town for a while. Yeah. There's going to be at least one frat house. <laughs> but now we're going to be in New York and there's going to be subways and like, you know, big, giant, cruel, uncaring city, yep. you know. So really excited about that. But the only way that Scream 6 was going to happen is if Scream 5 was a hit. And I would say based off of their box office take and the reception in general, I, I would say that it's on its way to being to a continuous franchise. Absolutely. And yeah. they're not going to space yet. So that's no, a good... No, we are going to Manhattan. <laughs> I'm very excited about that little like nod to Friday the 13th. Yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah, it was great. And it could have been terrible. It totally could have been. I mean, that was one of those I was bracing myself. I was like, this is gonna either be really great or really awful. I don't think there's gonna be a middle ground. And I love the Scream movies so much. And there's so much that has been talked about with those movies. And Wes Craven seriously was like a master. It's like he cut his teeth on Nightmare and was like, no, I've found it. Eureka. Yeah. And he like found everything out and then made like the perfect slasher movie. I was just talking at a birthday party, a birthday dinner the other day to someone who has not seen very many horror movies. And one of the ones that they mentioned they hadn't seen was Scream. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> like, stop everything. Exactly. <laughs> I, I almost was like, seriously, leave right now. Don't eat the rest of your sushi. Just go, go home. <laughs> and put it in. Watch it immediately. Like, here, I'm going to pull it up on my phone. <laughs> I really feel like I should have. <laughs> Kind of in keeping with that, and I kept it purposefully towards the end because there's a lot of reboots, a lot of sequels, requels, or whatever the hell you want to call it this year. There's one that I'm very specifically not going to mention until later because I did not like it. But the one that I wanted to mention, so there's two actually that I wanted to mention. Juliet hasn't seen these, so I'm just going to kind of like go off the rails on this. Yeah, do it. Do it. So Hellraiser came out this year. It was only streaming on Hulu. Both of the ones that I'm about to mention were only streaming on Hulu. This is going to be exactly the same as how I felt about Scream. I thought this could suck. This could be terrible. This could be a failure of a relaunch of a series. But the beautiful thing about Hellraiser is that it could be whatever it wants to be. And it could totally fall into the canon because Clive Barker has just made this like very amorphous kind of like unstructured hellscape where you could get whatever you want out of the box, out of, you know, the franchise, really, you could make a thousand of these and they could all be very different and oh, it, would, yeah. it would still work. I really thought that that's what was going to happen here because the last couple Hellraiser movies have been terrible. Yeah, yeah. The straight-to-video ones, the straight-to-streaming ones prior to this one, not very good. They were more about being, like, gory and gross and less about, like, Hellraiser and the lore that kind yeah. of gets built into it. But the main character as Riley and Jamie Clayton as the priest slash pinhead... They were a breath of fresh air. It was depraved and it was gross in parts. 
I don't think it was as intense as the original Hellraiser movie still is even after we rewatched it, but it is worth watching. It is setting up a new kind of universe. I like that. I think Clive Barker could be proud of this. I think it is taking the torch from a really well-loved series and bringing it into the modern age and making it realistic still. I freaking loved it. I can't wait to see Jamie Clayton as Pinhead again. I hope that she'll come back and be Pinhead again because she was perfect. And even Dave Bradley said, like, let's do it. Sorry, not Dave Bradley, Doug Bradley. I've seen a lot of stories and things on social media where Clive Barker and Doug Bradley are totally, like, in support of this. I appreciated it so much. Clive Barker is being one of the first out gay big names in horror. And then Jamie Clayton being a very out trans woman. I just thought it was perfect. I thought it was like absolutely appropriate and I loved it. I'll also mention kind of in the same breath, Prey, for very different reasons. I love the original Predator movie. Arnold Schwarzenegger is ridiculous in it. We've got Carl Weathers, Jesse the Body Ventura. Um, (laughs) It's just ridiculous. It's basically just testosterone slapped on top of an alien movie. Not like alien, like Ripley alien, but like alien because Predator is an alien. Lowercase a. Yeah, lowercase a. <laughs> All that to say, it's freaking incredible. It is one of the most well-loved creatures, I think, in horror. Very close next to basically the alien queen from Alien. Yeah. But Prey, once again, I was like kind of bracing myself. Like, am I going to like this? Is this going to be good? And Amber Midthunder and her character Naru... The fact that they speak Comanche, there's a Comanche dub of it. They took the idea of Predator, threw it back into the late 18th century, and said, here we go. Let's show you one of the first encounters with a Predator. The CGI is amazing. A lot of people complained about the Predator's look. Like, the the face of the alien, they didn't like that. But the Predator evolves. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The the Predator... Yeah. (laughs) It's also I haven't even seen it and I'm defending it. <laughs> it's also an entire species. It's a compl- right. it's a race of beings. Yeah. So it's okay that they don't look exactly the same. Yeah. And they fashion themselves off of the beings that they have conquered. Right. So every predator's look and feel and experience is going to be different based on their experience. Exactly. I mean, just watch the second one. If you've, yeah. se- if you've seen the end of the second movie, you'll see, like, they're all different. Yeah. They're all very different. But the gore was insane. It was absolutely incredible. The practical effects were amazing. The acting was great. They've set it up for more. I can't wait to see more. I think that it is, once again, another, like, successful kind of reboot. Even though it's not really a reboot, it's a kind of an injection of new life into that series because it, it kind of petered out. I think a lot of those franchises kind of like hit a dead end in the early yeah. aughts because they all were like, let's go to space. Let's combine Freddy versus Jason, Alien versus Predator. Yeah. And then it was like, oh, man, those movies weren't very good. Now where do we go? And we haven't gotten there yet. And now this year we got there. And so I'm very excited. But how nice to see a historical horror film to centering indigenous people. Yes. Rather than colonizers yeah and there are colonizers in the movie but they're they're bad yeah (laughs) it was really good i really really enjoyed it it was definitely one of my favorites of this year and i cannot wait to see more i hope that they bring amber mid thunder back i know that she's going to be in a lot more horror movies i can tell so kind of an emerging franchise we're going to talk about two films that we both included as separate items on our top 10 but go together Um, and obviously we were talking about ty west's two films that came out this year x and pearl uh, which are going to be then joined by maxine this coming year the third movie in the trilogy so we covered x right after it was available on streaming but let's talk a little bit about that one so much happening with that film I really thought that it was going to be a very straightforward, based on the trailer, again, it was going to be a really straightforward, like, Texas Chainsaw story, essentially. And I wasn't expecting it to be as challenging and forward-thinking and open-minded as a movie that's supposed to be set in the 70s ended up being. Yeah. It was sex positive. It was confrontation about love and age, loss of autonomy, loss of beauty. It was amazing. 
yeah, it just had a lot to say. It was way more than just the sexy violent moments. It had yeah. a lot to say about sex and violence and aging and a lot of other things. It was just really, really refreshing. It was a movie that I was excited to see based on the trailer, but was even more excited after we saw it. Because I was like, oh, this is something really special. So we're confronted with another sympathetic bad guy. Yeah. In this one. But the really surprising thing and the thing that like made me super stoked afterwards is you got this secret trailer after the credits in this movie because Ty West secretly filmed an entire sequel to this movie at the same time that he it was filmed during the pandemic and New Zealand especially, which is where this is filmed, was especially tough and very um, restrictive with their COVID stuff. So Ty West is like waiting in this hotel room for two weeks while he's quarantining. And he's like, you know what? I could just write an entire other movie. Yeah. Because the sets were already built. So it was like, well, all my actors have to do this too. Why not? Since we're already here, sets are already built. Let's just go ahead and make the sequel slash prequel to this movie. Yeah. And so while X definitely takes its cues from Texas Chainsaw, from Debbie Does Dallas, from sort of like classic 70s, like horror and porn and sleaze, Pearl, the prequel slash sequel, then takes us to like classic like golden age of hollywood big budget movie musical spectacular a lot of people were saying it's like if the wizard of oz was a horror film yeah exactly yeah it's it truly is i mean i feel like mia goth was kind of styled to be a judy garland in a way yeah like that's what she desperately wants yeah somebody actually said what was it i'm trying to remember the exact quote it was like pearl is like if Judy Garland herself went to Oz instead of Dorothy. That's even more messed up because of the whole scarecrow scene. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The fact that Mia Goth didn't win an Oscar for her eight minute long take in this movie that made me cry unexpectedly is exactly the proof that you need to, to understand that the Academy is garbage and you should only listen to what we say. It's so true. It's so true. (laughs) You should only listen to us for advice. That was one take. That monologue. It was one really, really long take. And so while X is violent and gory and fun and sexy and hot at the same time, Pearl is depressing and hopeless and disappointing in not like the movie is disappointing, but like things in the movie are disappointing in a way that makes you feel for Pearl that you would never expect going into it. Knowing how X ends up and how Pearl ends up you're like, there's no way that they can make me feel sympathy for a Pearl. And then you do, even though, even in the presence of the fact that she's done so much messed up stuff. Oh, yeah. And afterwards, I'm like crying. I'm like, I'm not supposed to be crying. I'm not supposed to feel bad. Yeah. But I do. And I feel like I can't blame this person right, for all of right. the crap that they've been through. Yeah. It's a movie that after X, I did not think would make would be so layered and thought provoking. Yeah, it was a very, very, very intense ride. It really was. Yeah. And it just like an X, it had some moments that just when talking about like the role of women in like society and in the household and stuff, just like punch you in the gut. Like even Pearl's mother, who is set up to be very villainous and cold and uncaring she has a monologue that i was just like oh my god i know like it's you know it was arresting you know you just oh it's so good so i'm so excited to see what maxine is gonna be i know because so mia goth plays pearl in this movie in pearl she also plays pearl in x and she plays maxine in x yeah so now we're getting the full trilogy of maxine in her, I'm assuming, 80s stardom heyday. Yeah. So that's going to be really exciting to see Mia Goth kind of, like, finish out this. And she's no stranger to horror. She was in the Suspiria remake. Yep. You know, she's been in tons of stuff. And she's very, very good. But I think these two movies especially, it was just like a one-two punch this year. It was the year of Ty West. Kudos to him. Hats off to him. Yeah. Party poppers (laughs) for him. Like, seriously incredible groundbreaking year for him absolutely and i love too that he didn't wait like you could have waited years oh yeah you could have waited a couple years to release these but he was like "Uh -uh. yeah we're doing it (laughs) i love that we got so close together Mm -hmm. 
And I don't think that it took the impact away from either one. No, definitely not. I wish that we would have gotten the whole trilogy, but... Me too. That was the... Maxine wasn't filmed yet. So I think that's why we didn't get Maxine as quickly. It would have been great if we got all three of them this year. He is merely a human. He is merely a human. (laughs) It's all good. Okay, so I saved one that had a big impact on me for last. It didn't really fall into any specific order for the most part, except for this one. We're talking about the black phone. Yeah. It was the last one that I put on my list... It was, I think, the last one, with the exception of Violent Night, the last one that we saw in the menu, the last one that we saw in kind of chronological order. I knew what I was getting into before we saw the movie, and I thought, I can handle it. It'll be okay. But I did not handle it very well. (laughs) Yeah, it was disturbing. Yeah. It's fucking terrifying. Yeah. (laughs) It's far too realistic meditation on childhood trauma Stranger Danger, but with a beautiful and poignant and important Joe Hill supernatural twist. Yeah. If you don't know, Joe Hill is Stephen King's son. Yep. Also a horror writer. A very prolific horror writer. Yeah. Writer. I love him. I think in there are ways that he is actually better than Stephen King. That's my personal opinion. Yeah. It, different in terms of his emotional poignancy, I would say, for sure. Don't get me wrong, I love Stephen King, but I think that sometimes he could use an editor that's a little bit more aggressive. Yeah. With, like, making a 1,200-page book, like, <laughs> more like 750. Stan like, <laughs> Yes, exactly. I with love. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I love, I love Stephen King, don't get me wrong. But Joe Hill, I think, is, like, more to the point. Yeah. And, like, there were parts of this movie that were not supposed to be the scary parts, that really hit me in the gut and reminded me of my childhood in a way that I was, like, uncomfortable with and not expecting and also, like, was upsetting. Yeah. Like, I'll just say the quiet part out loud. There's a part that the two kids, the oldest, the son, he's the one who gets kidnapped. And the younger, the daughter, is struggling with um, having visions. Yeah. And the dad is an alcoholic and doesn't understand the visions and also is reminded that their mom had the visions. And there's a scene where he beats her with a belt. And it took my breath away. And I, I wasn't expecting it. You don't often see, even in horror movies, you don't often see corporal punishment like that. Right. Yeah. Especially on kids, like, actually happening. Yeah. You'll hear, like, you know, a kid yelling or, like, a dad threatening or go after his belt. But this movie, like, it really just kind of laid it in. And that made me so sad that when I was watching the rest of the movie, I was, like, not ready for what was going to happen, if that makes sense. Yeah. It was tough. It was a tough movie. It was challenging. The theme of the movie, obviously, like... Child serial killer, yeah. not knowing exactly what's going to happen, because Joe Hill is remarkably and notoriously not sympathetic to child <laughs> no, characters. yeah. So, and I say that with love. Like, I do enjoy his stories. I own many of his books. Yeah. I really enjoy reading his writing. But he doesn't pull any punches. Yeah. And so not knowing exactly how the movie was going to pan out, it was like really had me on uneasy ground. Yeah, yeah. Because I think if you've read Joe Hill, you know it's entirely possible that it will not be a happy ending. Exactly. And when you have kids involved, you know, you're like braced the entire time like this might not go well and I don't know if my body is ready for it. Yeah. (laughs) I, like, toyed with not bringing this up, but uh, Ethan Hawke's, like, kind of hot. <laughs> I yeah. <laughs> like, I wrote, I wrote this, and I mean every word of it. Ethan Hawke's visually kind of hot, but also emotionally disgusting yeah, villain. agreed. It was, like, confusing, <laughs> but his portrayal of the masked man, I, I can't remember what they... The Grabber. The Grabber in this movie was terrifying. It was seriously probably one of the best portrayals of the year. This was also the year of Ethan Hawke. Totally. He's in freaking everything. He is. I need an Ethan Hawke, John Leguizamo team up. Yeah, right. And Jenna Ortega, throw her in there too. Yeah, Mia Goth. Yeah, Mia Goth. (laughs) It was intense in every way. 
I also really appreciated that they were very deliberate in the way that they portrayed the grabber because he grabs everybody. And there was this whole thing, specifically because of John Wayne Gacy and then later Jeffrey Dahmer, where people thought that people who would go after kids would be pedophiles. Right. Or gay. Right. And so they were really deliberate in the portrayal here to be very cognizant, like, this is not somebody, you know, yeah. we're not we're not trying to build a scary queer monster here. Right, yeah. Um, which I thought was really important. Yeah. Because there are a lot of effeminate portrayals. So they were very deliberate in that way. And I thought I thought that was very important and very, very special. The yeah. way that they had the uh, portrayal of the grabber in this one was like, hey, this is a scary monster. But we're not going to feminize. Yeah, they took a lot of care with that. Yeah. Because it could have very easily. I think it would have been just as scary, but it could have been more harmful. Exactly. In that way. And you could tell that they were being very, very careful about trying to create a very scary, threatening character, but also to not inadvertently do harm by the creation of this character. Exactly. And I do think that they did a really good job with that. And I really love Ethan Hawke. And like, I'm just really excited to see him and more stuff. I would love to know what like much younger folks think about this movie you know uh our gen z and younger listeners like hit us up on social media and i only say that because i feel like for me at least this film was such a time capsule of like part of what made it so arresting was like it was literally every stranger danger scenario that those of us that grew up in the 80s and 90s heard about embodied in a film it was like every horrible thing that you were told in school and by your parents and tv psas and movies of the week and all of that this movie embodied that in a very real way Mm -hmm. and i would just love to know if for younger folks if it had that same effect like you know because that was so omnipresent we've talked about this a little before Mm -hmm you know, in the 80s and 90s. So younger listeners hit us up. I would love to know what you think about this film. Yeah, like how would this have changed if you had a cell phone in your pocket? Yeah, you know? exactly. Because this is set in 1978, which is around the time when a lot of like child kidnappings were happening. Yeah. And it happened like all through the 1990s. Like yeah. not to put that down, but yeah, like this being in the late 70s was like especially because my mom would have been 14 when this, yeah. you know, so she was a teenager at the time. The, around the age of the main character in this movie, my dad's much older than my mom, but he especially, like, instilled a pretty big fear of, of that stuff. Yeah. Plus, you had the Adam Walsh thing in the 90s, yep. you know, yeah. stolen out of his backyard, JonBenet Ramsey, like, yeah, so many things. So I would be interested to see, like, how kids have having cell phones and stuff affects that or impacts that. So definitely hit us up. So one thing I wanted to mention that is not necessarily a top 10 thing, but just something kind of cool in horror that I saw this year is that I got to watch a couple of Bollywood horror films. We're starting to get more of those coming over to the U.S. in the theater. And we got Zombie Ready last year. And then this year we got, and I'm going to butcher these pronunciations. I apologize ahead of time. Bulaya 2, which was sort of a ghost supernatural Bollywood film. And Bidaya, which was a werewolf film. And these were just really fun. It's really cool to see how horror translates through different cultures and in different cinema traditions. All three of these films, including Zombie Ready from last year, are, as you know, nearly all Bollywood films are, musicals. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to see the combination of the music, the dancing that Bollywood films are known for, the fact that nearly all Bollywood films have a love story and a wedding at their center. It was just so exciting for me to experience horror through a very different lens. I've been a Bollywood fan for many, many years, but had never experienced any of the horror. And Bollywood horror films are becoming more commonplace, too, um, in that cinematic tradition. So I just wanted to shout those out and say that I'm really excited to see more. I hope we get more over here in the U.S. that I can experience, uh, because it was really, really fun to delve into a completely different style of horror than I am accustomed to. Yeah, I saw Zombie Ready, and I was like, wow, this is such a breath of fresh air. Yeah. It's 
cool and it's fun and it's it is neat to see horror through a culture a different culture and through a different cultural lens and how that's being absorbed and impacted and that one was really like a pandemic film too totally that one was fun it is really interesting to see those movies like get here and then for us to be able to watch and enjoy them and hopefully encourage that cinema to continue there because we love a foreign horror movie absolutely okay so very last movie we're going to talk about it's not even a horror movie but we saw this movie this year and i felt like it absolutely deserved a shout out and i also realized that this movie is not for everybody and not everybody had the same takeaway sure but everybody i know who saw it was crying at the end yeah Um, (laughs) we're talking about everything everywhere all at once if you haven't seen this movie it was absolutely a slam dunk for me yeah it was weird and funny and poignant and sad and scary and dramatic at parts. I know that that sounds crazy, ridiculous. How could a movie that has all of those things work? It just does. Yeah. It doesn't have to make sense. <laughs> Michelle Yeoh's triumphant comeback. Like, I think next year is 2023 is going to be the year of Michelle Yeoh because I was looking at stuff that's coming out and she's in like everything. And I love that for her. It's also great to see a non early 20s to mid 30 year old actress get like her flowers and get to like really shine as a romantic lead, as an action lead. Like she does all of the things in this movie and she does them beautifully. Yeah. And a movie that has to do with a multiverse can get complicated. Yeah. It can be hard to watch or hard to follow. And this one carefully and gently builds a multiverse that it goes through with a like a ping pong paddle and just like bounces you in between. You don't get too much backstory for any one of them, but it's okay because you don't have to. Yeah. Honestly, this movie did multiverses better than any of the Marvel movies have so far, which is like (laughs) disappointing on the Marvel end of things, but like really refreshing to see that somebody can do it well in cinema. I related to this movie so intensely, even though it centers on a Chinese family and like the intense generational pressure of first generation Chinese immigrants and the weight that they put on their children's shoulders on purpose because they wanted so desperately for them to have a better life and a better life for their ancestors. You know, I still felt like it resonated with me, even though I'm not Asian at all. I felt like it resonated so hard. I mean, I think that's part of the beauty of this film is that it illustrates so perfectly, you know, there's kind of this bullshit thing about diversity in film where it's like, oh, well, I'm a white guy. Can I understand a story about, you know, a black family or an Asian American family or a Latinx family or whomever? And this movie illustrates that, like, yes, this movie is about a Chinese American family. It is very steeped in things that are specific to that family dynamic and that cultural dynamic. And yet it is so incredibly relatable. And at its emotional core, like anyone can relate to this film. Yeah. Anybody who's disappointed their parents, anybody who had a different idea from their parents or from their children as to how they were going to move through life Anybody who's been disappointed by a partner yeah, who has desperately wanted their life to go another way. For me, I resonated because I am the first person in either of my families to get have a high school graduation, have a college education. Yeah, Both of my parents dropped out of school and their parents, if they even went to school, dropped out. So having all of the, the pressure and the weight of generational And most of the time it's out of love, you know, out of wanting your children and and their children to not struggle in the same way that you did. But putting that crushing immense weight and then telling them you've been a disappointment, you haven't lived up to my expectations or, or what my wants and desires were for you. But then also coming to understand that even if you didn't do all of these things, number one, middle age is not too late. Yeah. To do those things. Yes. And number two, it's okay for you to disappoint your your parents. It's okay for you to disappoint your partner if you can find the good in what you are doing right now in the way that you're living. Also, Stephanie Sue played Michelle Yeoh's daughter. Absolutely incredible. (laughs) She plays a lot of different roles in this movie, but she's great. 
And also, and I'm going to apologize because I'm not sure if this is right, but Ke Hoi Kwan, who played Short Round in the Indiana Jones movies, was crushingly, devastatingly good in this movie. He really was. And he's not acted professionally, like, since he was a child. This was his return to making movies. Indiana Jones, The Goonies. Yeah. Like, since then, he hasn't been in anything. He comes back, and not only just in one role, in multiple roles, there are earth-shatteringly beautiful, sad, poignant moments that it's just like, like, just remembering it, I'm just, like, tearing up a little bit right Yeah, now. I know, I know. It was rough in an incredible and vulnerable and, like, beautiful way, in a way that this man has never had the opportunity to do. Absolutely. And afterwards, people are just, like, shouting from the rooftops, like, oh, my God, give this guy everything. Yeah. So I'm excited that he is coming back to cinema, that Me he's going to be doing a lot more, because it just it blew me away. Lots of people didn't know that that's who that was. Yeah. And when they found out, they're like, holy crap, I can't wait to see him in more. Yeah. And I'm just going to say this out loud because I think this, this is Jamie Lee Curtis's best movie of this year. Oh, yeah. Full Agreed. stop. Period. Agreed. Yeah. <laughs> there is notably a franchise I left off of this list. Yeah. Woof. Yeah. <laughs> Well, honestly, with Jamie Lee Curtis, it was such a different character for her. Mm -hmm. And she really, like, even in the promotion of the film aside, like, she so embodied what a good supporting character should do. Mm -hmm. Everything she did in that movie so skillfully and wonderfully just served to support the main cast in a really beautiful way. And you saw her taking that role in the promotion of the film, too, just like, uplifting these actors in a really, really lovely way. So kudos to her for, like, everything in her involvement in this film. Yeah, for sure. She was great. So what are we doing next time? 2023 might be the year of Brandon Cronenberg. Oh, okay. Because we have a new Brandon Cronenberg Mia Goth movie. And Alexander Skarsgård. And Alexander Skarsgård. So we are going to come back and watch Possessor, which is a movie oft talked about I don't think either of us has seen it yet. No. We love a Cronenberg yeah. film, period. So can't wait to see this one. Yeah, we missed that one because nobody around here screened it. And it was a it was a weird time. It screened at that kind of in-between time when, you know, I think a lot of theaters were not able to take risks on, you know, things on the more independent, avant-garde end of things so we both missed out on it we're excited to catch up yes i'm really excited to see it i've heard quite a bit about it i'm just pleased this was october of 2020 when it came out so i'm just going to be really excited to see this one and then so soon afterwards another brandon cronenberg movie yeah definitely exciting thanks for listening to attack of the final girls find us online at attack of the final We're Attack of the Final Girls on Instagram and TikTok and Final Girls Pod on Twitter. Our theme music is by House Ghost and is available on Rad Girlfriend Records. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting app so you don't miss an episode and rate and review on Apple Podcasts so more people can find the show. I'm Juliet. And I'm Teresa. Until next time, stay scary. Stay scary.